Thank you, God, that we can trust in you. We can put our hope in you. That you invite us to be part of your kingdom that is never shaken. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Would you enliven our hearts? Would you open up our eyes to see your word? Would you help us trust in you? Would you help us rest in your kingdom, Lord, knowing that no matter what goes on in our lives, we will not be shaken as we put our hope in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, a long time ago, around 1885 or so, a guy named Robert Louis Stevenson, he penned a story. It was kind of a strange tale. It was, I think it was actually called The, the Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, I, I love that story. It's a, it's a great picture, really, of good and evil. And in that, in that story, Dr. Jekyll creates this potion, this serum... He drinks this serum and he's trying to separate out his bad nature from the good nature. And and in fact, instead of what he wanted to happen, um, he is taken over by this evil nature at times when he doesn't expect it. And he eventually ends up taking his life. And he's torn between this good person and the evil. Sometimes, as as Christians, we we can look at the Old Testament. We can look at the Old Testament and see as if God was Mr. Hyde. The evil one. And think, well, the New Testament, well, that's a different God. He's a, he's a kind God. He's a, he's a loving God. And we can think that God is somehow conflicted and that he's not the same God that he was in the Old Testament. And, and Christians, we can, we can kind of have this view that, well, you know, it's, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's, it's two parts of the same person, but God's really not the same. Well, well, this verse helps us understand that, no, God really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God still is a consuming fire. In the Old Testament, a lot of people have the notion that, well, God of the Old Testament, he wasn't a God of mercy, he was just a God of fire. He was a God of wrath. Well, that's partially true. God is a God who, whose presence bears no sin, it says, who is a consuming fire. But the truth is just as clear in the Old Testament that God's a God of mercy, he's a God of love. And now he's provided this same God, this God who has not changed, this God who is not different. He's not of two natures, he's of one nature, both merciful Kind, loving, faithful, and also his hatred burns against all sin. This God's provided a way for us to know him, for us to have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, because if you're like me, at times you're tempted to be shaken, right? This world is shaky. There's problems in life. You know, as Christians, we don't want to play like we're Pollyanna, like everything's okay. Bad things don't happen. You know, when you become a Christian, that suddenly all the the trials in life go away and life is easy. Well, that's just not the case. Often, actually, things get harder. Things seem shakier. This passage this morning is, is meant to both be a warning, but it's also meant to be an encouragement. It's a warning in saying, hey, don't be shaken by those things. Don't turn away from God. Don't turn away from God because of the trials of life, difficulties, maybe relational, financial, whatever those difficulties might be. Don't turn away from God. Don't reject Him by refusing to trust in Him. Instead, turn to Him because He offers a kingdom that can never be shaken. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to trust in something. I want to trust in someone. We have this inherent nature as humans to trust in something that's steady, that's sure, that, that lasts. And God has provided for us himself and a kingdom that we can trust in that will never be shaken. So in these verses, there's, there's great hope here. God is good. He's not evil in, in any way. He's a holy God. Because he's completely holy, he must be opposed to all sin. 
But the good thing that we see in these verses is that we can trust in God, who will shake everything once more, but who can keep us from being shaken. That's really the main idea of this text this morning is trust in God, who will shake everything. And let's scary if we don't have the second part of this passage. Trust in God who will shake everything? Oh my goodness, I don't need more shaking in my life. I feel like my life's already shaken. But God can keep you unshaken. The first point we're going to look at in the text really is it's straight from the passage in Hebrews 12, 25. It says, see that you don't refuse him who's speaking. What's he saying to us? He says, don't reject God who is speaking. We have a tendency to want to reject God who God said He is and what God's told us about Himself in the Bible because our circumstances, our trials, our situations can tempt us to feel like this can't really be true. What God said can't, can't really be true. See, the, the people who this book was written to, they were tempted to believe that their faith wasn't real because life was unstable, because they were being persecuted, because their goods were actually being taken from them. People were confiscating their property. property. They were being thrown in jail. They were faced with relational problems, financial extreme difficulties. They were faced with persecution, governmental persecution, relational persecution. They were tempted to reject, to turn away from the things that, that God had spoken to them. And what he's warning them, and really it's a warning for all of us today, is don't let those things in life that, that seem to contradict what God says... Don't let those things tempt you to reject God. Don't let those things tempt you to turn away from God. Don't reject God who's speaking. The warning here in these verses, it seems somewhat abrupt, doesn't it? If you're reading before about these two mountains, Mount Sinai, where God spoke and the mountains shook, and the people were afraid because when God descended, there was smoke and fire, and they said, we don't want you to speak to us, God. That's too scary. Let Moses speak to us. We'll be okay. And then he contrasts that with Mount Zion. It says, God offers to you a heavenly kingdom on Mount Zion. And you know what the place of Mount Zion was, right? It was, Mount Zion was the place where Jesus died on Golgotha on Mount Zion. And you have a contrast. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, now we've come to a mountain, a different mountain. Not with fear and tremble. When he says, draw near to me and receive mercy. Draw near to me and receive forgiveness. It's better than the blood of Abel. This is a sacrifice that's paid for the forgiveness of all your sins. And and then all of a sudden, we have this warning. And that can seem foreign, it can seem strange. But really, in the context, it makes a lot of sense. You see, because as Christians, we have access to, to God and all of His goodness. We have hope in forgiveness completely. We have hope in once and all for, for all forgiveness. We have, we have hope in God's help to enable us to run with endurance. So how much more should we not reject God? Who speaks to us. Remember in Hebrews 12, 22, it says, You come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You can look down your Bibles if you will. The heavenly Jerusalem, to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. And he offers us that as well, to say, You are secure. I'll write your names in heaven. You don't have anything to worry about. It says, You've come to God himself, who's a judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. And he offers out that hope for us too. He says, you come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Why do we have this warning? Well, because God has spoken forgiveness to us through Jesus Christ. And so how much more do we need to be careful that we reject 
the free gift of God's grace. Instead of receiving vengeance of God by rejecting him, he wants us to receive God's mercy. He wants us to receive the new covenant that Jesus offers. So he says that God is speaking. Well, how is God speaking? He doesn't exactly explain it in these verses. Well, he's expecting that you've heard the whole part of the letter of Hebrews up until now. Now, in this context, in our church, hopefully you've been here over a period of time and listened or read through the book of Hebrews. And the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, it opens up really with this theme of God being a speaking God. It says in Hebrews 1, 2, it says, In these last days... He, God, has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. And what does He speak to us? He speaks a better word to us. He's spoken a great salvation to us. What does God speak? What's the, what's the speaking He's, at? he's telling us to, to not reject, not turn away from? He's speaking deliverance from fear. Don't you need that? He's speaking deliverance from slavery to our sins. He's speaking deliverance from the power of death. He speaks mercy and tells us that he'll always be faithful. That's what God speaks to us in the book of Hebrews. If you go through the book of Hebrews, I just went through it from the first chapter all the way through, writing down all the different ways that God speaks to us, that we're being warned not to reject. And I'll read some of those things to you. He speaks rest to you who are weary. I tell you what, we need rest when we're weary and heavy burdened by the weights of life. He speaks to us of rest from trying to earn favor by our works and efforts and instead resting in His work for us. He speaks help to those who are tempted. He speaks to you who are suffering and He identifies with you in every way and says, I understand your suffering. I've suffered too and I promise I'll enable you to endure through whatever suffering you encounter. These are good things that God speaks to us, aren't they? He's spoken sanctification. He's He said that he'll make us acceptable to him so that we don't have to fear guilt or condemnation any longer as we put our trust in him. Now all of us know really that we've sinned. All of us know that we're guilty. All of us know that we deserve condemnation. But he speaks a different, a better word to us. He speaks direct access to God. Where before people had to go through a mediator, through a priest. And he says, no, there's one high priest, it's Jesus. And you come through him. And and he welcomes you freely now to come into his throne room to receive mercy and grace in time of need. And don't we need mercy and grace in time of need? He tells us that he won't overlook the things that we do for him even when no one else notices that he'll be just for us. These are the better things that Hebrews speaks to us. He speaks of refuge for us and he tells us of, of really strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that's set before us that he is a strong and secure hope. What are the other things that he speaks to us? He tells us, come near to him. He speaks of eternal salvation and security. He tells us that we can, we can know him closely. Not from a distance, not far off. The longing of every human heart is really to be in relationship. And what we don't know is it's to be in relationship with God. So we try to fill that longing with relationships with other people. And people fail us. And he says, I will never fail you. I'll never leave you. I want you to be in a close relationship with me. I will never fail I'll always be faithful. He speaks of a permanent covenant that's based not on your works, not on your efforts, not when you do well or when you do poorly. He speaks of security in his finished work and the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. He tells us in Hebrews of complete forgiveness and he says, I'll remember your sins no more. Even when you fail again and you're a loser, I'll accept you because of Jesus and I'm not going to remember your sins. I'm going to treat you as if you've never sinned. God's not stupid. 
But he treats you as if you've never sinned, if you put your trust in him. He speaks of looking to him and tells us that he'll enable us to run the race with endurance, as we saw at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. These are all the things that God speaks when he's telling us, don't reject him who's speaking. This is what he's talking about, not rejecting. And why is it warning us? It's warning us because we are tempted to live by what we see, right? He talked earlier about how faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's, it's, it's not trusting in things that are seen. It's trusting instead of the one who's unseen because you know, what we see is really unreliable, Oh, we see as much unreliable people around us and circumstances, they confuse us. Circumstances tempt us to think God's not really sovereign. He's not really in control. That's why bad things happen. But God says, no, don't reject me by leaving those things. Re- reject those lies and instead turn to me. Don't turn away from me. God speaks of, in the previous verses, adoption. Adopting us as his sons and daughters. He speaks of telling us that He loves us and He lovingly trains us. Even when it's painful, it's meant to be a reminder that He loves us and He's not punishing us. This is how God speaks to us. So in light of these things, it's really no surprise that this abrupt warning comes, is it? It's no surprise that He wants us to not reject God speaking and say, Hey, don't forget everything you've heard when these hard times come, when life is shaky. when When you're tempted to be shaken up, when relationships shake you, when... Your finances seem shaky when you've lost your job, when the future seems uncertain, when your spouse is a jerk or your kids seem to turn away from God. Don't be shaken by these things. And he goes on to say, For they didn't escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. What it's saying is the people of Israel, they, they didn't escape when God warned them on earth through Moses. It was no small thing. Unbelief is actually not a small matter. Not believing in God. Saying, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe you are who you say you are. That's not a small matter. He says, they didn't escape that. Actually, God, God allowed them to go their own way. So he's saying, how much more? If you, you've been spoken to by God directly in the person of Jesus, how much less will we escape? A whole generation died in the wilderness. Over a million people died because they didn't believe. So he's saying if the children of Israel are held accountable, well, how much more will we be held accountable? And even more than those who disobeyed, will we not escape if we reject God who warns us from heaven? And then all throughout Hebrews. Hebrews has a lot of warnings in it, doesn't it? If you've been walking with us through the book of Hebrews, it has at least five or six different places where it severely warns us. And why does it warn us? Why is this passage warning us too? It's not warning us because God's mean or God's somehow saying, hey, you're going to go to hell. Well, no, he's warning us so that we can trust in him and not experience condemnation. So we could not be shaken by life. Chapter 2, if you remember, we were warned to pay much closer attention to what we heard lest we drift away from it. There's a danger we learn to drifting away. It doesn't take much to drift, does it? All it takes to drift is just sit there in the boat. And the boat goes down the stream on its own. There's a danger in drifting away. Chapter 3 warned us, don't harden your hearts in unbelief. It's so easy. Just stop choosing to believe and your heart will become hard. Chapter 4 warned us that we were naked and exposed for the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In chapter 5, we were warned to not be dull of hearing. It was a good warning for me and for us as a church to not become complacent, but to be actively learning trying to seek God because if you're not actively learning there's a danger of turning away from God chapter 10 we're warned not to go on deliberately sinning and then earlier in chapter 12 
14 and 15, it says, Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. We're told time after time of warnings. Why? Because God wants us to not be shaken. God wants us to hope in Him who is never shaken. And He can keep us from being shaken. And in here in these verses it says that one day He will shake the heavens and the earth. All of creation will be shaken. That really leads us to the second point this morning. It's that God will one day shake everything. It's simple. It's right from the passage. God will one day shake everything. If you are not actively placing your hope in Jesus, this should scare, scare you terribly. I was, uh, when we lived in Vancouver, British Columbia, I worked in a high-rise office building. Um, I was only about seven floors up and I just came out of my office and I was meeting with my staff and we're all sitting there and I was standing up in between the, these partitions and we were talking, having a meeting and then all of a sudden I started getting sick to my stomach. I'm like, what's going on? It was like an instant sickness to my stomach. I'm like, oh, I'm dizzy. And then I looked around and everybody's like going like that too. I'm like, what, what in the world? Is this like sudden onset of sickness? Because everybody's like, oh gosh. And we're all facing away from the window except for me and I'm looking out. And then I see that the harbor's moving. I'm like, why is the harbor moving? <laughs> That's not supposed to move. And then I noticed the blinds were going whoosh, whoosh, like four or five feet each way. And then I realized, oh, our building is going four or five feet each way. And it was a little, un- <laughs> it was a little unsteady. I had to sit down and we all crawled under desks. And then we <laughs> waited for the shaking to pass. Um, it's, it's, it's scary. And that was just a small tremor. It happened, I think, like 200 miles away from us underground and it was a Category 7 uh, on the Richter scale. But it was like 200 miles away underground. And it was still like everything was shaking. And then afterwards we went outside and there were bricks had fallen off of buildings and things had fallen off. And people were, everybody was outside afterwards. And like, are you okay? You know, it was weird. Well, the whole city cleared out. Um, I don't even know if Julie actually had called her. And she was like, what? Was there an earthquake? I don't know. She had young kids, so, you know. <laughs> There's always an earthquake when you have young kids. Um, <laughs> You're like, that was rumbling. They must have been running in the stairs. Um, in Mount Sinai, can you imagine what they must have experienced? That was just a small tremor. I don't know if any of you have ever ridden out an earthquake. It's, it, it, it has this way of making you realize that, oh my goodness, what we take for granted is not, is not secure. You get used to the whole idea of the ground being there and the ground being solid. But when the ground's not solid, it, it, it makes you uncertain. And, and, you know, things in our lives have the same effect on us. When, when trials come and they shake us, it can make us feel like, whoa. And sometimes we can, get, we can get ill because life shakes us or at least tries to shake us. And it, it promises in these verses at that time, speaking of Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. And that's why they were so scared. God comes down, there's smoke comes up, and then all of a sudden the whole ground starts shaking. No wonder they were terrified. That was close up. I couldn't imagine going through something like that. Or if you remember uh, back in 89, the, the great earthquake in, in San Francisco in Candlestick Park and, and the bridge fell and so many people died and, and you just look at pictures that it, they seem foreign when you know, all these roads and buildings are falling down and, and things that seem so certain are, are not certain. He says in verse 26, at that time his voice shook the earth but now he's promised. Here, here he's promising us not just to shake the earth He says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. What is he saying here? 
He's saying that he's going to shake everything once and for all, and that he's going to remove everything. Everything is going to be done. He's going to take apart all of creation. So in, so in light of that, that warning is pretty serious. Because we don't want to be those who are shaken. We want to be those who remain and are not shaken. In Haggai, he's quoting Haggai 2.6. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while... I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And then Isaiah 13, 9, it's a, it's a prophesying of these end times. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. How terrifying. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. I'll punish the world for its evil and the world wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant. Lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold. That's not a good thing. And mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place. At the wrath of the Lord of the hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Second Peter nine three nine tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Here's why we're being warned in Hebrews as well. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's why we're warned in passages like this in Hebrews. And then it goes on to say, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Think about that for a moment. There's hundreds of thousands of galaxies. And each galaxy is hundreds of millions of miles across. Hundred light years to cross each galaxy. And there's hundreds of thousands of galaxies. And it's saying, the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We see in Revelation 6, it says, And I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall down on us. They wanted the rocks to fall down on them more than they wanted the wrath of God to come down on them. It says, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The shaking of all creation to come. It's only going to happen once more. But as, as verse 20, 27 tells us, once God completes His final shaking, He's going to remove the heavens and the earth as we know it. But, but then we, we read why. You say, but why, is he want to, why, why is He doing all this? Why will God shake everything? What's His purpose? It says He'll remove things that are shaken. It tells you why. So that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. What this is saying is that God gives the gift of an unshakable kingdom. And he offers this gift to you this morning, to each one of us. 
He offers us the gift of an unshakable kingdom. And in light of the fact that he one day will shake everything, it's his great mercy that he says, take this unshakable kingdom so that you will remain when all else is shaken. Well, that's our third point this morning is that God gives the gift of an unshakable kingdom. He's going to shake everything else so that nothing else will remain except that which cannot be shaken. And here's the good news. If you place your trust in him, he says that you will never be shaken. Since 1909, a few years prior to World War I breaking out, as things were escalating and tensions were building, there was this company called Prudential Life Insurance. And they took on the, the rock of Gibraltar of their logo, as their logo. And this is the advertisement from 1909. It says, the Prudential has the strength of Gibraltar. And then down the lower, lower part of the picture here, the caption says, the fleet protects the nation. Prudential Life Insurance protects the home. And, and so what, what they were trying to give you the picture of is they're secure. When all of life is unsteady, we're secure. We'll keep your home. We'll protect you. We'll keep you safe. Remember back in, in the 70s, I was a child of the 70s growing up, and there was this slogan they used to have, get a piece of the rock. I don't know if anybody remembers that or not. If you're over 35, you probably will. Uh, otherwise, you're like, what in the world? Um, it was probably one of the most successful advertising slogans after they rolled out that get a piece of the rock slogan. Um, millions of people bought life insurance. It was seen as the most successful slogan ever. What did it appeal to? It appealed to the desire for certainty, the desire for stability, the desire to not be shaken no matter what else happens. They wanted something that would be secure. When life fails us, when everything else goes wrong, we have security and prudential. Turns out in the 80s and 90s, prudential defrauded over $8 billion in funds. They weren't really as secure as they said. 2010, just, just three years ago, Prudential was accused of manipulating payouts of life insurance benefits to families of American soldiers who died. Instead of paying out full insurance, it was due they're making interest on the money and paying families back 0.5 of a percent. Well, they weren't, they weren't certain. They weren't secure. They weren't the rock that they purported to be. In our lives, we, we, we can hope for things that are sure. We can hope for certainty. Maybe it's just me, but I, I hope for relational certainty. I, I hope for stability financially. I hope for certainty in the economy. I hope for certainty in the housing market. I, I hope for, for certainty in food prices. And you can think of so many different areas where we, just, we hope for stability and certainty and security. And here's the reality. You aren't in control of any of that. And so when you realize that as you grow up and you realize... Oh my goodness. You have some reactions. You try to control things. And the more you try to control things, you realize, you, I can't. I can't control it. So you get angry. You get upset. Reveals those idols. That you can't control things. We want to control things. We have this desire to control things. But we're never meant to. What we're meant to do. Where can we find certainty? Where can we find security? When your relationship goes south. When that person you married is not the person you thought they were. Or maybe they are. You thought you would change them. When you study for 12 years. And for a profession. And then you realize that you're no good at it. Or when you lose your job and you are good at it. When you lose your house. You can be tempted to uncertainty. You can be tempted to be shaken. You know, it's been said in, the, in this world, the only thing certain is uncertainty. You ever heard that saying before? 
Well, it's not exactly true. In the world, yes. In the world, the only thing certain is uncertainty. But we're not meant to stay there. What that's meant to point us to is the fact that we can't hope in this world. We can't hope in other people. We can't even hope in our own ability to be stable. Not about you, but I, I'm, I'm not reliable enough for myself. I fail. I can't even trust my own ability to keep myself. So what do we do? Do we, go, do we respond in despair and despondency? And do you become depressed? Because if you don't have hope in God, that's, that's where it leads us, right? When you realize that life's depressing because no matter what I do, I can't control anything. And no matter how good I am, I can't be good enough. But what's true is he offers us an unshakable kingdom. What's unshakable is the God who's speaking. His word is unshakable. It's certain. His church is unshakable. It says the gates of hell won't prevail against it. His kingdom is unshakable. And what's certain too is that all those who trust, if maybe you're, you're not sure, maybe you've not fully trusted in God yet. Maybe you thought, I, I know about God, I agree that it's true, but you, knew, you know deep down that you've not really truly trusted in Him. Maybe God's talking to you this morning and saying, He wants you to trust in Him and not be shaken. He wants you to have a certainty far beyond prudential, far, far beyond the rock of Gibraltar, or whatever you've, you've been hoping in. And He wants you to find security in Him. Do you want certainty? This passage tells us trust in God. He has an unshakable kingdom for us. It doesn't mean that everything else won't be shaken. Here's the reality. It will. Maybe you're young and you haven't had your life shaken up much yet. You will. You need these verses when those times hit and surprise you out of nowhere. When you think, but God, I've done all the right things. I've, I've lived for you. I've, I've, I've obeyed you. I've, tried to, I've done all the Christian type things. And yet my life's falling apart. You need to remember, no, I'm not shaken because God and His kingdom are not shaken. He's overall. He's going to keep me even while everything around me, even my own health, shakes. 1 John 2, 17, it says, And the world is passing away. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides Forever. This is the kingdom we can have. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Not a, not a temporary life, not a life that doesn't last. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. Here's some wonderful news. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. The one who created the stars, who made everything, says no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is given to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He's offering to us an unshakable kingdom. doesn't require works. doesn't require effort. doesn't even require believing enough. It says, God, I, I trust in you. I want to trust in you. I put all my hope for life. And if I die trusting in you, I'm going to trust in you. That's how we receive this, this unshakable kingdom. A quote for John Piper, he says, One day, everything that is unstable and precarious and dangerously volatile, anything that makes us feel insecure, and by the way, do you feel insecure at times? He says, those things will be removed. That's the good part of everything being shaken. And all that will be left will be the rock-solid, unshakable kingdom of God. What good news that is. He says, oh, how fragile we are in this life. We're fragile against disease. I've seen it with my mom going through multiple diseases. 
Fragile against flood and tornado. Think of the tsunami, the the earthquake in Japan and, and all the things. We're just so fragile and lightning. Fragile against violence. Fragile against mental failure. Watch my grandmother, really, her, her mind just go. A brilliant lady. She was at the top of, in, in the world's eyes, the top of her game. She owned a, a private jet. She flew it all over the world. She was brilliant, and she lost her mind. Fragile against mental failure. Fragile against Satan. Fragile against economic collapse. What are you going to do to keep the economy from collapsing? Nothing. Life is very fragile, but God promises that all shakes. God promises that all shakes will be removed. Isn't that a good hope this morning, Christian? God promises all shakes will be removed, and the great unshakable kingdom of God will remain. We have a great unshakable kingdom that's offered to us. Yet once more, it means that God will remove all the things that are shaken, and God will shake all the creation But he'll keep you so that you're not shaken. Another quote for you from a guy named Ligon Duncan. He's actually from the Greenville area. He says, only unbreakable things, things made unbreakable by him, will survive that shaking. We must live in view of that final shakeup. Our lives must reflect what will last. Question for you is, does your life reflect what will last? Does your hope reflect what will last? What are you hoping in? Are you hoping in relationship? Are you hoping in finances? Are you hoping in someone, something else? See, he says our lives must reflect what will last, what will go beyond that final shaking. And we can stop right now and ask ourselves, do we value in this life things that are going to be utterly destroyed in that final shakeup? Or is our hope on something that lasts beyond it? And this morning, our hope can be in something that lasts beyond it. We can have a sure and steady hope in the midst of whatever shakes us. Where's your hope when things are shaken? What are you hoping in now? Does your life feel shaky? Does your life feel unsteady? Where are you looking when things in your life are shaken? Psalm 164 says the sorrows of those who run after another God people who look to something else to save them will multiply in verse 5 he says the Lord is my chosen portion of my cup you hold my lot the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed I have a beautiful inheritance I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also my heart instructs me I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be shaken this is how we cannot be shaken Keeping God who speaks to us before us. Psalm 55 says, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. It doesn't say you won't have burdens, but it does say he will sustain you. And it says he will never permit the righteous to be moved. You can be that which is not shaken and remains. If our trust is in God, we too can not be shaken no matter what comes. We can be what remains That really describes the safety and security of those who are in God's kingdom. When God shakes everything, those who are found trusting in Him will remain. That's what I want. That's what I want for each and every one of us is to remain. To remain in Him, to receive His help, to receive His safety, His security. And then the last verses it says, and this is really our fourth point, our final point, is that God is a consuming fire. When I was four years old, we were camping out at a place called Blodorn's. 
kind of a weird name, but it was in the Appalachian area of Virginia. And we were camping there, and us four just went through fire safety prevention week. And I just told my dad, Dad, you shouldn't build a fire here. It, the, the spark's going to jump, and it's going to catch fire. And he's like, I've always built a fire here. It's going to be just fine. We'll be fine. I've been doing this for 30 years, and the wind's never blown in that direction. Within about 15 seconds of him saying that, the wind blew in the other direction. And uh, it's, it's a great story in the family now. Now. <laughs> Almost 36 years later. A spark jumped and the whole field went <laughs> and caught fire. And then mass panic ensued. My family and all of their friends ran and got coolers, went down to the lake and were dumping buckets of water and coolers and anything that could find that held water, anything we could find that held water. I was four, so my parents told my sister, go and take him and put him in the middle of the stream on a rock. And so they took me and they put me in the middle of this creek. And I, I couldn't see a thing because the banks of the creek were high, but I could see flames on either side. And... Um, Actually, just one side, actually. But uh, I could see flames, and, and I could smell the smoke, and I could hear these noises. And, and I was on this rock in the middle of the water, and they said, Don't move. I didn't move. Um, I stayed there for a couple hours on this rock. I was terrified. I was petrified. She sat me down. I didn't move, but I could cry. And I cried. I, I, I couldn't see my family. I didn't know what was happening up over the creek creek bank and I but I could hear the chaos I could smell the smoke that was just blanketing the whole air and I could feel the heat actually of the fire and it was a couple hundred yards away the heat was so intense and uh, they pour water on the area and, and they, they go over the area where they just put the fire out it was so hot that they just put the fire out they walk over it and it was melting their shoes walking over this this fire and whenever I think of when it says God's a consuming fire I can think of experiences like that and think, oh my goodness. That fire just consumed the field and it consumed half of the mountain. And by God's grace, somehow, miraculously, the firemen were able to cut a, a break and a line and, and then the wind went the other way and put the fire out. It was really phenomenal. Obviously, we were praying, but when I think when it says God is a consuming fire, this is, this is not a gentle image. At four, I was terrified of just a you know, forest fire. I can't imagine. I was actually relatively safe in the middle of this creek. I can't imagine God, the creator of all, being a consuming fire. Consuming everything and, and, and everyone who is not saved by his grace. It's not the image of a gentle God. It's the image of absolute terror for anybody who hasn't trusted in him for salvation. Why do we have warning passages like this? Why do we have passages like this? They're not meant for us to hate God. No, they're meant for us to turn Him because He loves us and He wants to save us and He wants to say, no, I want you never to be shaken. I don't want you to be consumed by my wrath. You see, God's a holy God, but He's also a loving and merciful and kind God. Those things are not opposed. They, they go together because if God's truly a holy God, His presence can't bear sin because otherwise He wouldn't be holy. But because God's also loving and He doesn't want us to be consumed. It's not that God is like fire. It says fire is like God. He's, he is a consuming fire. No wonder the people who came near the mountain feared didn't want to speak to God directly. And they only saw a glimpse of God as this consuming fire. Verse 28, look in your Bibles. It tells us, Therefore let us... What do we do in light of all this, this we've gotten this morning? He says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. 
that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. God shakes us too at times. Why does He do that? Why does life shake us up? So that we don't hope on the things of this earth. So that we will hope and trust in what actually cannot be shaken. You see, we have this tendency to think we know best. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, they thought they knew best. They thought they could trust what they knew. We can't trust what we know on our own. We're called to trust in God and we'll never be shaken. God's not mean when He allows life to shake us. You see, He wants us to not be shaken as we look to Him and not trust in any lesser thing. In the midst of difficulty, and we have difficulty, don't we? Anybody here going through difficulty? Any trials, any temptations you're going through, any relational stress, any... All these things are meant to call us to remember that we've received a kingdom that can't be shaken. We're tempted to be shaken by our own failures and sins. I'm tempted to be shaken by the failures of my, uh, my own failures and the sins of others. Circumstances can tempt us to be shaken as well. We're tempted to be shaken by all kinds of events in life. You don't have to look far, do you? All around this is potentially life-shaking events. Economic crisis in America has shaken many. Jobs and homes have been lost. There's people in this church who've unexpectedly lost their job. The, the evil murders of elementary students a few months ago at Sandy Hook Elementary it shook our nation. The death, death of a loved one can tempt us to be shaken. You don't have to look far. Life tempts us to be shaken. And God says, no, I want you to see that you are receiving. You can receive a kingdom that will not be shaken. And you can rejoice in the midst of life, in the midst of all the shaking, and then in the midst of thinking there's going to be a final shaking, because you can receive a kingdom that will never be shaken. When the storms of life rage, and they will. When all around us seems to be shaking, when your relationships shake, when our finances shake, when our emotions shake, when our friendships fall apart, when we lose our jobs, when they shake our family, when weakness or illness, maybe death will shake us. We're called to remember we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Then it says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It means that we currently have received and are in the midst of receiving. God is, God is giving us His kingdom, even though we're still waiting for the full coming of the heavenly kingdom. We're receiving an unshakable kingdom. Why? Because we have an unshakable king. And He rules. He reigns from heaven. And one day He's going to abolish all things that are opposed to Him. These verses are not meant to scare us. They're meant to give us hope. They're meant to warn us away from rejecting Him and forgetting what He said. In the midst of the storms of life. Maybe you're going through the storms of life right now. Are you? Are you you going through things? What are you going through that's tempting to shake you? These verses are meant to give you a safe haven in God through Jesus. In light of all this, we can worship God in reverence and in awe. Couldn't ask the, the, the worship team to come forward. What are we meant to do in response? We're meant to do a few things. Application. We're, we're meant to, when we're tempted to be shaken, we're meant to remember how God's spoken to us. Not a complex application. When we're tempted to be shaken, remember what God's spoken to us and not reject Him. 
What else do you do? Because, see, everything else is speaking to you. Your, your own mind is speaking to you. You can't do this. You're going to fail. God says, no, don't be shaken by those things. Remember what I've spoken. And then receive his kingdom. And don't be shaken. Trust in him. And then the third way to apply is to worship. Is to be grateful and say, God, thank you that although life tempts me and although life is shaky, you will never fail me. You can never be shaken. You're giving me, I'm receiving a kingdom that will not be shaken. We worship God because we know that nothing can shake Him, that nothing ultimately shakes Him, and He is the one who holds us. That's how you can worship. That's why this is a command of Scripture. Even if we die here on earth, our future in Him is unshakable. We worship God because our consciences have been cleaned. We can serve the living God. Look at the last part of verse 28. It says, We worship with reverence and awe. And in verse 29, he explained, because God's a consuming fire. How can we worship that? We worship because He doesn't consume us who trust in Him. We worship and we worship with all because why would God save us? Why would He rescue us? Why would He give us certainty in the midst of a world of uncertainty when we've rebelled against Him, when we've sinned against Him, when we've, when we've turned away from Him in the past and yet He says, I want you to receive an unshakable kingdom. That's how we can worship with reverence and all. And he calls us to draw near to him. And by his grace, he says, I'm never going to pour out my anger on you. I'm never going to pour out my wrath on you. That's how we worship with reverence and all. Let's go ahead and stand and let's sing together.